This is Being Healthy with Dr. Christian Bramwell, discussing all things health, fitness, and wellness. provided should not be viewed as medical advice and remember please consult with your doctor before making any changes to your diet or habits. This is Saeed with Being Healthy. In today's episode we'll break down the concepts of diet versus lifestyle uh, as well as fad diets. First, diet is the food we eat throughout the day. Lifestyle changes incorporate diet, exercise, spiritual exercise, and mental health. Fad diets are diets that can get temporary success but yet are not as sustainable or permanent lifestyle changes. We'll be covering some of the diets around the world, how they impact fad diets, your lifestyle, and diets generally, and discuss some of the tips and tricks that you can use to try to be a little bit healthier every day. And now, Dr. Bramwell. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Saeed, thank you for the introduction. Doing it like a boss, as always. How you doing? (laughs) Uh, Doing good. Just trying to, you know go through some of these things, uh, I guess, so nobody would know, but we recorded this already and then lost the episode, so this is our, our second go-around, and hopefully we, we don't lose this episode. Hey, man. Say la vie. Say la vie. So is life. So is life, as the French would say. But, if, hey, if it happens for a reason, it just means we're supposed to come back with this episode with an even better one. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. All right, but I'm excited, man. I'm excited to talk about diets. Oh, by the way, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I'm applying for my medical license. So finally, they're letting a young boy like me get a medicine, get a license to practice medicine over here in the state of Georgia. So, and then I'm also getting my first moonlighting shifts as well in a couple of weeks. So because of that, I'm pretty excited, man. Pretty excited. That, isn't that why you took the boards though? Doesn't that automatically give you that? Yeah, it does give me the so yeah, taking the boards and plus one intern year of residency equals you're allowed to practice medicine on your own, albeit you're not board certified. So, so for our audience out there, again, if you guys have any questions, follow follow us or send me a, a question on all of our social media platforms below. But pretty much the difference between uh, being board certified and having your license is that your license allows you to be like a general practitioner. Uh, which is like, you know, you can work at like maybe urgent cares or something like that, but board certified allows you more privileges. You know what I mean? So like, you know, if you're board certified, you can do procedures or if you're a board certified surgeon, you can do, you know, surgeries, of course, board certified psychiatrists, you know, see people in like an inpatient psychiatry, psychiatric facility, sort of like the Georgia regional health places. You know what I mean? So pretty much with board certified, it gives you a lot more privilege and access. So yeah, you don't want to be a general practitioner. You just want to be board certified in something, my friend. But what are you working on, Said? So how's consulting? How's work, man? Anything new with you? No, not really. Same old, same old. Uh, we might have a couple opportunities coming our way that are, um, you know, not massive projects, but uh, some some good projects to jump into. Um, uh, it's uh, I've heard it described in consulting as you have the sort of the smaller steady projects as your fuel and then your mm-hmm. your big projects are your gravy so we're trying to as a new company we're doing our best to try to build up those uh that funnel of of fuel of smaller steady projects that we can count on coming in more re- more reliably than those really right. massive projects 
Right, right. I got you. So pretty much just try. So pretty much not trying to hit a home run with all these projects. You know, trying to hit like you know some good old singles and doubles. I know you don't like baseball, man, but that was a perfect baseball analogy. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, but yeah, best of luck on that, my friend. But Thanks, let's get started. Yeah, but let's get started today. So, so, so first of all, we're going to talk about diets around the world, uh, specifically the diet here in the Western world compared to the diets in the rest of the world and how a diet has evolved over time. So starting off, so starting off with this, so I, I feel like most people and so for instance, like a lot of my patients, so a lot of my patients will come in and I'm asking them, oh yeah, how you're eating? And then they're eating and then they're saying, oh yeah, man, I'm, I'm eating real good. I'm on this new diet, blah, blah, blah. It's, uh, you know, so for instance, like it was this one woman that came in. So she wanted to lose weight uh, just because, you know, she put on some baby weight after having her third kid. So understandable, she wants to lose weight. So she was telling me that she was on this new diet uh, that was sort of mirrored kind of off Beyonce diet where it's sort of like, you know, I mean, a lot of, uh, what was that Beyonce? You know what I'm talking about, say the Beyonce diet? I'm trying to remember what it was. The she only, said it was pretty unique. The only Beyonce diet or anything I can remember is when uh, Beyonce did something for a movie and my mom did it, which was like the maple syrup cayenne pepper thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, really a diet. It was like this, like it was like a very, very dangerous, like detox type of thing. And you would just drink that for like a week or something, and then you lose like twenty pounds. But you're also, you know, like sick and starving. That was it. That was part of it. But she also did the a twenty two day vegan challenge with only drinking that lemon cayenne pepper water thing. You know what I mean? So it was a twenty two day vegan challenge, and then drinking the lemon pepper water. And then I'm asked her, okay. Okay, that sounds like a good diet. You ever been vegan before? No. Okay. So what do you? So when when it's over, what are you gonna be eating? I'm like, uh, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, it's only a 22 day diet. So what are you gonna be eating when it's over? You're gonna you know still be eating vegan. You're gonna go back to your regular way. She's like, I don't know. What what, what do you want me to do, doctor? And that just you know that just sort of got me thinking like, okay, I think so. I had to educate her on the difference between you know what's a, what's a diet, what's a fad diet. And what is a lifestyle change? So just as I tell, so I'm going to tell you guys what I told my patient uh, earlier this week. But yeah, pretty much starting off with a diet. A diet is a set of foods that you limit yourself on eating and it's foods that you allow yourself to eat. And then that's just the most general term of a sense. You know what I mean? Now, if you throw the word fad in front of it, a fad diet is a diet that restricts what you eat and allows you to eat other things. That is made popular by something in society. So well, for instance, you know, Weight Watchers, Keto Diet, uh, even the, the the Tom Brady method. You heard the Tom Brady method? Uh, only the uh, the avocado ice cream sort of thing and then the plyometric flexibility stuff. Uh, yep. As far as the details of his day-to-day eating habits, it's day-to-day eating habits not 100 percent sure yeah i mean like, i'm not gonna lie it's not actually not a bad diet if you could stick i mean it's not even a diet i would say it's just his lifestyle way of eating it's not bad if you could stick to it you know what i mean mm-hmm. for instance like he for instance like he, he eats no processed sugar whatsoever he doesn't even eat he doesn't even eat fruit with other things just because he believes you got to isolate your sugars so that it doesn't mess up with the with the like you know the absorption of the rest of the food you eat which is i can sort of sort of see that a little crazy though, as I said, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to win Super Bowl number seven and sign endorsing deals and stuff like that. But it's not a bad. Isolate but the fruit huh? 
do you just mean he'll eat an apple and then won't eat anything with the apple? Correct. He'll just isolate his sugar. He does not believe in eating sugar with anything. Well, that makes sense. From There's some research I saw that said eating uh, fruit with starch can cause the fruit to ferment in your stomach in like a small way, just as far as it impacts. Just because sugar mixed with fruit causes fermentation, like sangria. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's, I don't know what the impact would be of that fermentation. I don't yeah, know. I can believe that. So what I'm thinking, it can maybe change the, you know, the gut floor in your body. So there's a certain amount of microbes that, you know, that help us digest food, uh, help our immune system. So I could see maybe it could interfere with that, but I got to do, do a little bit more research onto that part. And then besides that, of course, the rest of his diet is like organic foods, like water. You know, you always, he never drinks Gatorade, always drinking water on the sidelines, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so a fad diet is that a fad diet is like so a diet that's made popular, and there are good fad diets, as I said, like the TB12 method that can actually be sustainable. And there, are, and you know, there are really, 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 really bad diets, as I said, like some of these diets that you see these celebrities come out with, like this Beyonce weird starvation honey water diet, weird. So, yeah. so I, so I, so I told her about that, like this and this because this, this, this is a fad diet that's met, that is what it is. It's a fad. It's meant to be done for a limited amount of time to get a result. And then after that, it's over. So it's not a full lifestyle change. It's more of a fad thing. And then, of course, lifestyle diets or eating for your lifestyle is determining what kind of lifestyle you want to live. You know, for instance, do you want to be, you know, do you want to be like at your strongest? You know, what I mean, building muscle. Do you want to just be healthy? Just want to maintain yourself style diet or eating for your lifestyle? Just choosing what kind of lifestyle you want to live. It's like, you know, you want to be actively athletic do you just want to maintain you know just want to lose a little bit of weight and you know always be eating to have yourself in a caloric deficit it's just about determining what your goals are for your lifestyle and then making a diet around that that's both sustainable keyword there being sustainable and easy for someone to follow you know what i mean like for instance if someone like if someone loves meat i'm not just going to tell them all right just start eating vegan tomorrow no, yeah. I mean, it doesn't work like that. So if someone like eats meat, it's okay. So we're, if you're going to stick to meat, let's just pick some wholesome choices of meat. And let's just avoid, you know, the, the double beer battered fried chicken along with the, you know, with the good old fish fry on, on Friday. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's one thing people need to know. So a diet is just a set of restrictions on the food you can eat and the ones you can't. A fad diet is a fat is a diet that is made popular. That's not supposed to last for a lifetime. And you have lifetime diets that are meant to reflect how you're going to eat to attain your lifestyle goals for whatever they are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. But as I said, and then besides that, we can always trace our diets all the way back from early man to now and like how they've evolved. Because I said people are eating different than what they were back then. You know what I mean? So, by, by, so no, diets have evolved over the years. You know what I mean? So for instance, from starting from the early caveman, so... Let me ask you say, how long have humans been around? Take, here's a guess. What'd you get? How long have how long has humans been around for? Uh, ten million years, something like that. Ten million years. All right, all right, Alex. And the answer is two million years. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah I was off. Yeah, not 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 so bad. Not not so bad. So, but yeah, but pretty much it can, but it's pretty much range on average about 2 million years. 
pretty much about some say it's as soon as like 1.3 others say as long as like around 4 million years but a lot of the reading I've seen is about 2 million years that humans have been around but if there's any paleontologists out there or geologists said feel free to hit me up on on any of our social media platforms to correct me uh but again so started off we were just eating trees grasses shrubs pretty much anything that we could find that wouldn't poison us readily you know what i mean uh i bet that was also a time for the for the discovery of mushrooms and other hallucinogenic mushrooms i've guessed it then <laughs> but man it must have been scary man can you imagine eating like a hallucinogenic mushroom around the time of like woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and stuff like that that would not have been a good trip can, to an extent does does the fact that it's your norm impact the trip at all i mean like i don't know because i mean like if you saw a car now and you had a trip it would still probably freak you out if it wasn't i don't know yeah but i'm just saying like compared to the early man like you know what i mean like who like you know their baseline is like i, I get what you say like that's just the average what they're seeing in the day but you know what I mean? Like, they don't have the intelligence that we have, like, made to understand it. They're probably thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm being possessed by a devil, and I got to, I got to procreate, like, no one's business. I don't know, man. I just feel like they couldn't process it as well as we do with our bigger, advanced, big old brains. You know what I mean? Uh, but to an extent, I mean, is there any proof that our brains are actually more advanced, or is it that we just have more greater access to knowledge because you can always look at different generations every generation before us uh the previous generation was always dumber or knew less than than uh the generation that comes after them so is true, it true. accurate to say that our brains are more developed or is it that we just know more because there are, there are probably things that the caveman would understand or know intrinsically that we have no concept of that it would just, well, I mean, just imagine people living in different environments. If you live in the woods and you live in a city, then there are going to be a million things between the, those two people that are strange. Like living in the woods, you would know how to start a fire from scratch and, you know, maybe to, you know, pull together a tent or something. Whereas mm -hmm. if you live in a city, you know how to go and travel from block to block and fit your directions together with your city being on a grid. That's a good question. But the reason I bring up, as I said, diet and the brain, especially right now, is that so pretty much the diet, so pretty much the brain is thought to have been close, brain development is thought to be closely related to the amount of glucose that we consume. So I was trying to, so back in the early days, like, you know, say we we're just eating, you know, bone marrow, meats, shrubs, grass, you know what I mean? Stuff that didn't really have much glucose. And because of that, it's thought that the early human brain kept on getting developed as soon as we got as soon as we hit these hallmarks of food inventions so for instance so when we, the second we started ir doing irrigation so irrigation is where you know we take a major source of raw of water to so say we're from take the hillsborough river you know we just dig out you know just uh channels from the hills from the hillsborough river where water drains from it and then we have all of our farming around those rivers uh the, around those channels from the river River provides the water to grow. As I said, we can grow trees, so we can grow banana trees, citrus fruit. And now because of that, we are domesticated in the sense that we don't need to go out and find those. And we have better foods because we can control the source 
rather than you know going to the wild and hunting them down. So the, and then and then and then that was like one of the biggest things that helped advance humanity, as well as domestication allowed us to not only domesticate trees and fruits and vegetables, but also animals as well too, to help power and create the lands we needed for farming and uh, livestock. And then after that, going through and then going through like a couple other bigger things that help with diet. So then now we had we developed salt. So salt was a big thing developed around, I want to say, it was like during the early civilization periods, but when we discovered salt, salt was one of the huge things that helped us to preserve our food in the sense that, you know, I mean, before like food rotted and while it rotted, people would still eat it, you know what I mean? So people were eating rotted foods, rotted meat, but now with salt, we had better quality foods. And then keep going through the ages and the next biggest one was refrigeration. Once we discovered that refrigeration is something that we could use to keep our stuff cooled, and that also helped us as well, too. And then up until the next biggest thing from refrigeration I would put in my uh, timeline would be the assembly of the commercial uh, assembly line. So pretty much when we hit the Industrial Revolution and like from, you know, the 1920s to the 1950s, stuff became a lot more streamlined. You know what I mean? So gone were the days where, you know, you had to take really, you know, you had to, you know, take very care in making simple stuff like bread or tortillas. Mm-hmm. Now you're in the sense that you can make it pretty much an assembly line, you know what I mean? And then because of that, food became more accessible and quicker to people. And then after that, the next biggest thing here in the Western world that helped development of food, I would say, is the drive-through. So you so make so you think McDonald's, uh, Carl Jr.'s, any of the early spots that had drive-throughs, they even streamlined it even faster. Now that humans didn't have to sit down and wait for a meal at like you know your local diner. Drive up, pay, get the food, you're on. And because of and said because of all these developments, is why we have to die where we are. But uh, but as I said, all in all, as I said, our brains I do believe have gone have improved from glucose, and because of the glucose, the human brain has developed even more so compared to what it was millions of years ago. And because of that, that allowed us to become smarter and make all these other innovations in food that probably have helped us make the alpha dogs of the entire world. So so let me ask well, so let me ask you this. So. Out of all I just said right now, now did, did I change your mind on that? That on glucose. I know if we're smarter than our cavemen brethren with the whole glucose thing. Uh, I mean, I can understand that. I can understand that. Um, when you talk about development, is it is it like the life of the brain? Like when you in reference to, you know, sort of the the challenges that people have with Alzheimer's and dementia, how certain mm-hmm. diets have been shown to positively impact uh brain health or are you talking about uh the ability to consume information um you know in the way that we talk about overall health impacting um scholastic or academic uh ability like especially with kids there are there are always Mm -hmm. like sleep studies and dietary studies on you know how to make kids better students like what which way are you referring to it as so pretty much referring to it, so number one, glu- the, the link between glucose and the brain, so pretty much glucose is important because the neurons are one of the most glucose-demanding organs in the body, you know what I mean? Okay. For instance, the, the brain cells, they only use glucose. They don't use, for instance, when we go into ketogenesis and use those ketone bodies for energy, our brain doesn't like that. It only likes using glucose. So there's a direct link between glu- hypoglycemia and the development of neurological problems. What's so hypoglycemia? Huh? What's hypoglycemia? Oh, hypoglycemia is low blood sugar in the body. So if you're chronically hypoglycemic, you're more likely to get seizures 
and just be in the altar, not being, not pretty much not being able to be yourself. So you're, so you're off from your baseline. And then besides that, the glucose does believe to help with learning, memory, and thinking, all of which skills that humans have mastered compared to our early primates to, you know, become the dominant life forms. You know, it was hard, you know, it's hard to be the dominant life form of something when you're using sticks and friggin', you know what I mean? And trying to, and taking two hours to start a fire, you know what I mean? That, that you, you couldn't be the dominant life form keeping with that, you know what I mean? So because of as I said, our because we're eating more glucose, and now that we're becoming glu- eating more glucose, our thinking, our learning have gotten better over the ages, and because of that, uh, we became better thinkers. So we're able to evolve our tools from you know sticks and stones to bronze to iron to full machines. And we were able to use that thinking and that lot and that as I said, no other organism consumes glucose like us, but no other organism has developed into the technology or the society that we have right now. So I believe there's a direct correlation with that. Now, albeit, now we're at the point where we're getting too much sugar. So and all this is according to the University of Harvard Mahoney Neuroscience Institute. So pretty much they're saying that long term hyperglycemia or high sugar use. Uh, has been has has causes the brain to shrink or atrophy. Too much sugar is a bad thing. You know what I mean. And because of the diet we have now, especially in the Western world, because we developed, you know, the drive-through, the assembly line. Now we're getting to the fact where our brains are becoming negatively affected by all the advances that we made and how easy it is to get food now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. As far as human human development, yeah, everything you're saying makes sense. There's still the the confusion on my part about uh, are our brains more developed or are our brains better fueled? You know, sort of like right. if you have two Ferraris and you give one, uh, you put water in the gas tank of one and then high octane gas in the gas tank of the other. They're both still Ferraris, but one is mm-hmm. getting way better fuel. To so I'll say this: that. I would say the next smartest life form. In the world, in the world, I read it's like besides like our primates ancestors would actually be dolphins, because dolphins actually like you know they communicate, they hang out in social mm-hmm. groups. They're sort of like they're sort of like humans, you know what I mean? Albeit they don't eat any of the gluco- as much glucose as we do. So I would say it's more about the fuel. We're on premium. We're on premium. I'll say I'll just keep it simple. Let's just say we're on premium and they're on unleaded. So I think we'll just stick to that. But yeah, so, so as humans, like we we have the best fuel. We fuel our brains with the proper stuff, and because we are able to use that fuel to help our brains do things that other animals can't, we're the dominant life forms. But right now, the diet's sort of killing people, especially here in the Western world. Diabetes and obesity is at its highest rate ever. Mm-hmm. Heart disease is back is actually back down. Heart disease was is one of the is one of the uh, is the biggest killer of people here in the Western world. It was higher in the fifties and sixties, but now it's back down uh, compared to when it was. So that's pretty good. And then besides that, all we got to do is find a way to improve the Western diet overall and think we can get it, and think we can fix these problems. So let me ask you this side. So what do you think is the staple? So let me ask you this. Like I found, I pulled up a list of some staple foods or some like, you know, foods of countries and, uh, and uh, states here. So for our so the state of Florida that we're both from, what do you think the national dish of Florida is? Yeah, take a guess. Uh, either 
like rice and beans or yeah, oranges? Key lime pie. Yeah. Key lime pie. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. But isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's I tasty, guess that though. makes sense. Well, right, you, like, you got to have a taste for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I've never really been a fan of the key lime pie, but I mean, it's, it is okay. a big dish. So, For the Northeast yeah, states, you. what do you think sense. are the two biggest food, or a couple of the biggest foods up in the Northeast? Uh, like clam chowder. Uh, yep, so we got buffalo clam wings. bake. Then the next one we got is, uh, you said buffalo wings coming from the New York area, and then the Philly cheesesteak as well, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. yeah, that makes sense. And then from yeah, the Midwest, big... we got deep dish pizza and hot dish. You remember what hot dish is? I think we talked about this before. <laughs> yeah, isn't it like yep. just a mashup of frozen like vegetables stuff? mixed with a soup, cooked with some kind of grain with a little bit of meat in it? So it's like pretty much with like a meatloaf, some cream of vegetable, like some frozen broccoli is what I'm guessing, and just Put like some breadcrumbs on it, and bam, there you go. Yeah, not yeah. Staple of Indiana, the Dakotas, Minnesota, Minnesota. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I don't know. Not really feeling that one. Probably stay away from that cuisine. <laughs> and then of course we got in the south, in the south, uh, fried chicken, macaroni and cheese. In the west coast, we got chili fajitas as well as Cobb salad, mission style burritos. And then besides that, Puerto Rico, we have arroz con gandules. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, any of my Hispanic people, just let me know. Uh, and then besides that, we have mofongo. Ooh, you ever had mofongo? No. Is mofongo like, like a, a pork dish? It's plantains mashed together. And then that's like the base. And then, you know, you add like salt, garlic. And then you can make it into a bowl, and then you can make other flavors inside. So you can put like pork or chicken or bacon, and it's pretty much like a dish that's pretty hearty, and you can design to whatever you want to. Yep. Okay. All right. And then besides that, okay. And then besides that, yeah. So keep on going right now. So, but pretty much as far as the Western diet, we agree it's one of the worst in the world. But as far as the diets that are in the blue zones. So, as far as Blue Zone diets, a.k.a. are some of the best diets in the world. So, the Blue Zones across the world where people live the longest. So, for instance, in America, one of the Blue Zones is in uh, La Loma Linda, California. As well as other ones include Okinawa, Japan, the Mediterranean region, specifically around Europe as well, too, as some notable Blue Zones. So, in comparison to the Western, so I was doing some research, and comparing the Western diet to, like, the Mediterranean diet, first of all, so let me ask you the side. How much do you know about what do you what do you know about the Mediterranean mm. diet? Uh it's fish based with very little um like pork, beef, chicken, uh uh very little processed foods, um some grains, vegetables. Yep. So not pretty sure much about the Mediterranean fruits. diet is based heavily it's a very pro carb diet, but and the fat and the pro-carbs that they do get are instead of more wholesome sources, so they don't use corn at all. The biggest thing in the Western diet, the, that, that, is, that is probably the worst thing. We use, it's a very corn-based diet. Corn is very cheap to make, but it has very little nutritional value. So it's like empty calorie foods. But their carbohydrates are much richer. As I said, they actually use 
wholesome grains, uh, fruits and the veggies that they use are like, you know, all great sources and legumes especially as well too. So legumes are like, you know, lentils, peanuts, stuff like that. So their carbs are much better than ours. And then the fats are, are way healthier than ours. So basically being in the Mediterranean, they get a bunch of omega-3 healthy sources of protein like fish, shellfish, and other things like that, which here in America, we don't get enough of. So, but, so with those two bi- as the biggest things, and on top of that, they get a lot less sugar and dairy compared to here in America. In America, we eat about three to four times more sugar and dairy in our diet than other people, which is like another thing. But because of the Mediterranean diet and their, and their uh, emphasis on uh, wholesome ingredients that are not, you know, said processed or streamlined like here in America through like a factory, they take more respect and time in their food. And because of that, it reflects in their diet and in their lifetime. So on average, they live about 10, 15 years longer than we do here in America. In America, the average age for a man is about 72, about a woman 76, uh, just for reference. And, mm-hmm. Well, we have we want to be careful about that too, though, because those numbers are sort mm-hmm. of changing annually. Um, there's some research, uh, like in regards to Social Security and how overtaxed uh, our Social Security system is, that uh, a significant number of Americans are living to about 90, um, and that a growing number of Americans are living deeper into their 90s. Um, so we're, we're seeing the American life expectancy really booming. Um, it's, getting, it's getting closer to um, that sort of 80-year range, but we still do have, as you mentioned, like uh, over the last few years, it's still been that, uh, I guess, an average of that 70s, okay. like yeah, mid just, to late 70s. I just popped it on myself. So you're right. So pretty much in America, it's, it looks like it's 78 years for females and about 74 for males so it was a little bit higher than what i yeah okay uh, that's what i get from getting it from a from a medical journal we're, all, we're always so pessimistic mm. doctors well it's it's also the like you so for like most of the stuff that i pay attention to is like financial stuff and the financial stuff is sort of looking at it's like current not necessarily the average, but like what number of people are in a particular place and determining impact based on that and then projected impact. So it was just, I think it was something like 20% of, it's like 20 to 30% of people on social security are using social security until they get Mm -hmm. to like 90 or 92 years old. Uh, So that's not to say that's like the average life expectancy, but more and more people are living to, you know, eighties and nineties. Um, but again, that was just from the perspective hmm. of Social Security and, you know, this sort of burden that we as the American public have put on Social Security um, due to life expectancy hmm. continuing to go up that. every generation. So just real quick. So do you think Social Security is one of those things where people are going to outlive their Social Security? Like if, if we do live longer? Well... Technically, you can't outlive your Social Security because your Social Security is supposed to be paid to you regardless. But if Social Security was discontinued, it would be discontinued just because people are living so long. When Social Security was initially put in place, the average life expectancy I'll tell you was, right now. According to 1950, uh, according to early about it was about 67 to 69 years, what it looks like back in the 40s, 50s and 60s. 
Yeah, that was, so oh. Social Security was implemented in the 20s. So the average life expectancy in the 20s was because it, it came about from the Great Depression. Uh, FDR started it uh, either in the middle of the Great Depression or just as the Great Depression was ending. Um, and the average life expectancy was like late 50s, early 60s. And that's why like getting Social Security at 62, you had fewer and fewer people that were living mm-hmm. to, you know, 70, 80 years old. So for the people who did live past, you know, 58, 60 years old, you were only going to have, you know, I, was, I don't know, just tossing mm-hmm. out a random number, let's say 30% of Americans making it to 65, 70 years old. Whereas today, it's expected that most Americans are going to mm-hmm. make it to about 75 at least. So you're getting Social Security at 62, and it was budgeted that most people would not get Social Security at all. And the people that did would only be getting Social Security for about a five-year period. And now it's pretty much everybody gets Social Security, and most people are getting Social Security for 15 to 20 years. That's a very, very different system. And I mean, Social Security may have to, I think under President Obama, there was discussion of raising the retirement age to 65 or 68 to sort of offset some of the pressure that's on Social Security social security but there's no way to know like what would actually be done and there there may not really be a solution to that just because you know as time goes on we get healthier and and we live longer Mm -hmm. even with all the health challenges that we have like people are able to deal with it you know if you had diabetes or something in the 40s then you know your life expectancy with diabetes in 1940 is way different than your life expectancy with diabetes in the 2010. My biggest fear is that social security is not going to be around by the time you know we're ready for retirement needs in like you know 30 years from now. You know what I mean? That's just my biggest fear. I think we might just stretch ourselves too thin because I don't think it was expected to take off like it did. Well, I mean we we've known for a while that social security is on its last leg. So any person in our generation within that, you know, 25 to 35 year age range, that's, you know, starting to, that's either become a professional or getting or becoming a professional. Um, all of us are aware that social security is on its last legs or, or should be aware. There's been so much discussion about it. Um, our, the last, the first time that, that, that sort of stuff came up um, that I can remember, I was probably in high school. So it's just sort of been, you know, that's just been discussed. Like Bill Clinton talked about it. And I think 2010 or like 98, something around there, like towards the end of his presidency, that Social Security was going to end at some point um, just because it's mm-hmm. not sustainable. Um, so yeah, as far as our generation, our generation shouldn't really be counting on Social Security. It might be there, but there's a good chance it won't be. And if it is there, it's not going to be as helpful as it's been for most other oh, generations. Mm. Well, thank you for telling me. I did not know about that. I know about that. Okay. But but that's, that's again why you want to you wanna try to manage your health as best as you can. And that's one of the things that you've talked about a lot with, I guess, sort of aging gracefully is that if you're able to manage your health expenses, a lot of people end up in, end up with crippling debt paying for or covering health expenses. Uh, there are a lot of people who file bankruptcy. I worked in bankruptcy court uh, one summer from my first internship in law school. And there were a lot of people that had filed bankruptcy because of emergency, a heart issue, something that comes out of nowhere, or a relative has a health issue that comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know, heart attack or stroke or something like that. And it completely changes where you're at financially because of the, the, the dollar impact and the cost of dealing with a health issue. So if you're able to 
stay healthy and help your family to stay healthy, you're able to put together a budget that's going to be more stable and more secure. If your health is sort of up in the air or you're, you're not as healthy, then at any, any, at any moment, you know, that health problem that just kills your savings and tanks your finances uh, could pop up, you know, and it could happen to anybody. There are plenty of people who are technically healthy. They get strokes or heart attacks, but you, you just want to lower your risk as much. as Gotcha, man. Yeah. I said like, it's, it's real though. I said like, especially like here, like, so for all those, like I work at like a large academic institution. So we see like a lot of Medicare, Medicaid people. So it's like the basic government insurance. And Mm -hmm. yeah, pretty much a lot of patients are telling me like, I get calls saying like, Hey, the medication you put me on is too expensive. I can't afford that. Anyway, we can do something cheaper. So I'm always have to try and find like, you know, the best deals for my patients because as I said, because you're right, man, being sick is expensive. You know what I mean? Between medications, doctor's visits, insurance payments, hospital bills, it can rack up. And that's why in this podcast, we want to try and give you some healthy tips on how to eat healthy, be happy, and just to avoid these high exorbitant Medicare slash healthcare costs. We got your back. Don't we, side? All right. But yeah, so if anything, yeah, so yeah, but I'm telling you, like people, but I think people need to adopt these set. People going back, people need to do a better job, I think, of adopting the diets of other parts of the world where people live longer, especially in these blue zones. So going back to, like I said, the Okinawa diet. So for the Okinawa ones, they eat a lot of tofu. So do you think you said tofu was your favorite food? You, you could eat it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> the opposite, actually. <laughs> I got I'm playing. I'm playing, man. But yeah, they're, so pretty much they, they're pretty much a sort of like the Mediterranean. The meat they use is mostly seafood and tofu for, you know, protein sources. And then they it's a very carb-centric diet. Uh, so, you know, rice, vegetables, fruit, all that good stuff. Very little dairy, if any at all, and very little sugar and alcohol. So the sugar that they do eat is in very moderation and hardly as much alcohol as we eat in America. You know what I mean? So, as I said, with so with the Okinawa diet, again, they take more time in preparing their foods and they give more respect to food. I feel like here in America, where we treat food like a commodity, where it's just for our pleasure instead of for fuel. I think overall in the world, I think people in the world treat food more as re- with respect just because, you know, it is something that we are legitimately putting into our body that becomes a part of us. So I so you feel like people need to, I feel like people need to just re- do a better job of respecting food and respect where it's come from, where it's going, especially, you know, going into our bodies. And then once we realize that, I think people would look at food as food differently compared to what we do now, where it's just like, you know, just something to be, to make money off of and to commoditize. But as I said, in America, money rules everything. And the Western diet, you got to make, if, you're, if this is not making you money, it's not good. So as I said, it's, it's a, a store will have a lot harder time making a profit off of a pack of banana that lasts on the shelves for a week compared to a pack of Sour Patch Kids that can last for up to a year on the shelf. It is what it is. But that's why we're teaching you guys and all the audience out there to make sure to uh, eat the to eat healthier, wholesome sources of food, respect the food that you do eat because it does become part of your body. So real quick, let me go into a couple, uh, until three things, these are just three things that I feel like everyone can do right now just to make some simple changes to make your diet healthier without being a fad diet that you can incorporate to your lifestyle change. So the number one is to cut out sugary drinks. Gatorade, Powerade, teas, cut that out. 
And you said, around the world, no one drinks as much uh, sugary drinks here in America. The beverage industry is huge. Two of the biggest food companies, Pepsi and Coca-Cola, they are giants, and they only do is make sugary drinks. So cut out sugary drinks. They're being added. They're being, you know, they are being advertised to us in a way that we want to consume them. And they're made to be addictive. You know what I mean? You drink a sugary beverage, the dopamine, uh, the endorphins kick up, you feel good. So just watch out for that. Water, not sugary drinks. Number two, simple. Stop eating fast food every day. So by that, go home. You don't even need to be prepare a meal from scratch. You know what I mean? But, you know, just go to, to some place where it's not fast food where you're just getting it off an assembly line. But if you are going to get some food that you are going to get quicker, I'd suggest Chipotle, Moe's, Willie's. Uh, any place off where you can make a good bowl and get to choose the ingredients that get to come in there, not just order off a menu where they already decide what's going to be on there. So as I said, in Wendy's, you don't have too many choices of what's going to be on the Baconator. But if you go to Chick-fil-A, I mean, not Chick-fil-A, if you go to Chipotle and, and get a bowl, you can control how much rice, beans, veggies are in your bowl. So stop eating fast food. If you are going to eat it, make sure you choose the healthier options that are out there. Number three, snack smartly. So by snacking smartly, no more gas station food. No chips, no candies, none of that garbage. By snacking smartly, I want to eat people eat start eating nuts into nuts and fruits to replace those sugary snacks. So by nuts, you can get a good trail mix, handful of sunflower seeds, some cashews. They're easily uh, they're about they're they're maybe a little bit more expensive, especially the nuts, but they're gonna keep you full. And they have plenty of healthy stuff like omega-3 fatty acids and unsaturated fats that can help out your heart and keep you healthy. Compared to, as I said, a pack of Sour Patch Kids where they just got you more sugar that will atrophy your brain and have you feeling all, let's see, what's the word? What's, how do you feel when you eat too much sugar? I forget how, what, what the feeling that is. Like, you know what I mean? You eat like a crap ton of sugar like, and you feel bad. A sugar exactly. rush leading no to No sugar rushes. Ball. So as I said, smart, snacks smarter with fruits and nuts instead of sugary candies and chips. So, again, cut out the sugary drinks and drink water. Stop eating fast food every day if you do. Pick choices where you get to choose what's in your dish. And number three, replace chips and candies and cakes with nuts and fruits. All right, and that's all I got for you guys. Sai, you got anything else for the, for the listeners out there? Going back to the the fast food thing, Chipotle and that sort of stuff may be a, in a, a decent alternative, but you would still want people to be careful about really about eating anything that they're not making or that they don't know exactly how it's prepared. And that's that's the biggest challenge with um, the really the American diet, just because of how fast paced life is in America, how much people work, uh, how fast things move in the States, you know, everything that we tend to be involved in, we're very, we're very active, we're very involved. Most people, you know, if you have a a two parent household, many, many of those two parent households, both parents work. Um, You know, if you're in a, a, a situation where you're working multiple jobs, not just one, um, so the challenge is to try to find something where you know and understand how that food is prepared, what goes into that food. Um, not so much mm-hmm. that you are going to be able to always find something, the healthiest option, but if you know what's going into your food, you know what it is your body's dealing with. So 
nobody really knows what goes into, you know, a Burger King, a McDonald's, a Wendy's, um, you know, chicken sandwich or burger or something like that. Uh, but if you can find out, you know, how something's seasoned, what sort of oils it's made with, you know, uh, that sort of stuff, that can help you understand what sort of stuff mm -hmm. is going into your body on a regular basis. And that's what you want to be careful about. You know, are you using, uh, are you eating food that is constantly using, you know, hydrogenated oils or those heavily processed oils um, that can uh, be hard for your body to process, that can increase your, you know, bad cholesterol? Um, are you using, you know, high sodium, are you eating a lot of high sodium foods? Um, high, high sugar foods, um, foods that are filled with a lot of proce uh, preservatives or heavily processed because those things, again, impact your body differently, uh, force your body to work very hard to process them. Um, and sort of, I guess, for, for lack of a better way to describe it, just leave stuff behind in your body. That's the biggest benefit of, of eating more natural foods is that when your body consumes them, breaks them down mm -hmm. digest them and gets rid of them there's a less residue I and no you're right about that the reason i just recommend chipotle and mo because you know i actually used to go back there someone worked for them and told me like you know they actually do take care for instance like like most of their veggies are just salt and pepper and as far as like the marinade on the chicken like it's just a simple marinade and they grill it so it's like you know grill grilling is a very healthy way to cook something not not no extra fat or crap like that added so that's the reason, like, I just, I recommend, like, Chipotle and Moe's, because they actually do take a little bit more care. Yeah, you, you know, you put in the time to find out what actually went into it, not just assuming that what was going into it was like, healthy. For instance, like, the, the reason I recommend Chipotle and Moe's was because, like, I, I work with people there, and they told me they legitimately use very simple seasonings, not any hydrogenated oils. On top of that, most of the stuff is actually, like, you know, grilled on, like, a good grill. So it's a very healthy way to cook things. Like, friends, did you know in Burger King, like, their flame-grilled Whoppers are not truly flame-grilled? They're just put through, like, a, that broiling machine. Can, I, I, can you believe they're lying, side? My goodness. My whole world is shaking. Did you have a whole episode? I know, about I know. That's why people need to listen to it and, and see what I'm talking about. <sighs> I know, but I'm just still shocked, man. Just the shock has still gotten me. Anyways, anyways, man, you ready to get to some core questions, finish up the episode? Question one, are frozen meals healthy? Frozen meals are healthier than others. I would say the unhealthy frozen meals are the are frozen pizzas, snacks, so you know those TGI Friday snacks, unhealthy, and, uh, and most entrees. So I said most Stouffer's or Edamons entrees, they're not healthier just because they have more fat and salt than you're needed. Uh, because, yeah, because you said when, you need, when you freeze something, like you, you usually put in a lot of preservatives, especially if you're freezing meat. They're even more preservatives. But I would say if you're going to get like a frozen meal, just get some frozen fruits, frozen veggie bowl, frozen rice bowl with like very little meat. Those are the healthier options compared to frozen pizzas, snacks, or entrees. What foods can I eat to reduce inflammation? In order to reduce inflammation in your body, you want to eat foods that can, that either have a lot of antioxidants or don't cause inflammation. So a lot of foods that cause inflammation, friends, are like anything very sugary. Sugar, high amounts of sugar cause inflammation. You know, that's how we get all that sugar leads to diabetes. Diabetes puts us in a chronic state of inflammation, makes us more likely to get sick, as you said. When we're in a state of inflammation, our body's susceptibility to infections is much, much higher. So by that, you just got to eat the right stuff. So said, uh, anti, so a lot of fruits, especially like the berries full of antioxidants that, can, that are known to, to counter the, uh, that are known to counter inflammation. 
as well as healthy oils like omega-3 and unsaturated oils. Those are very good. So overall, it's just eating cleaner. So I would so eating good nuts or other sources of protein, as well as fruits and vegetables, are the best foods that you can eat to fight uh, to reduce inflammation. Is it possible to build muscle on a calorie deficit? So normally, being in a calorie deficit, you're more likely to lose weight because you know to lose weight, you got to eat, you got to burn more calories than you're eating. However, building muscle require in order to build actual muscle, it it requires you to work out. Working out tearing the muscles because you're exerting yourself so hard and then your muscles are going to recover and grow a little bit bigger and also to make sure that the muscles grow bigger you need to make sure you're eating enough protein and uh, have enough fuel for the muscles to as i said recover properly so if you're naturally if you're in a caloric deficit you can still build muscle technically although it'd be a lot more difficult so if you're in a caloric deficit you have to be eating either a lot of either a lot of clean sources of protein or just be working out very hard so that your muscles are chronically uh, trying to grow bigger. Now, for, and for the person that's trying to build muscle on a caloric deficit, I would say it, would, it cannot be anyone who's skinny. If you're skinny and trying to build muscle on a caloric deficit, it will not work out for you too well. But if you're, you know, if you're, bigger, but if you're a bigger guy, for instance, like, you know, you're, you're sort of a big stocky guy, but you're just trying to build a little bit of muscle, but overall, as well as cut down, so try and trim. I would say it's more possible for that person to build muscle on a deficit than a skinnier person. If you're a skinnier, if you're a skinnier person trying to build muscle, I would not worry about the caloric deficit. Just eat as much clean protein as you can. Work out as hard as you can. Yeah, to add to that, uh, anytime you're trying to build muscle, or trying to uh, sort of improve your physical fitness with intense exercise or, or um, you know, fitness, uh, fitness activities, uh, make sure that recovery is a huge part of what you're doing, especially, you know, sleeping, uh, stretching, not just the food you're eating, uh, because during that time of rest and relaxation is when your body is going to do most of that work to repair the muscles. So if you're combining a calorie deficit with a sleep deficit, then that's mm-hmm. also going to be a big challenge. Um, a calorie deficit, then, you know, just sort of gauge where you're at, how hungry you feel, how tired you feel, um, how much you're eating. Uh, but make sure that you're trying to sleep, you know, seven, eight, nine hours a night as well, because uh, hopefully your body will be able to help you in the recovery process just by making sure that you're sleeping consistently and enough. I said people, people do always forget about sleep. So sleep is super important towards recovery. So like when you're sleeping, like our hormones reset and our body overall just gets back to our baseline from the stress of the day. So I agree with you fully, Syed. Yeah. And I mean, when your muscles are, your muscles need that recovery time and that recovery time for most people is, is during sleep. I mean, that's when you're, mm-hmm. you're going to be your least active and when your body has the best opportunity to go in there and repair any, I guess, any any problems, any, any issues. And technically, as you mentioned with working out, uh, if you're lifting weights, building muscle, it's about the muscles being torn down. Uh, so you need to give your body time to recover, to build them back up so they can be torn down mm-hmm. again, to be built back up. So, you know, you're constantly getting mm-hmm. hopefully bigger and I stronger. agree. All right, Mark. Or if you're not build muscle, you know, more toned, more mm-hmm. defined. Yeah, but as I said, like, but I think, but yeah, I think I said overall, if you're skinnier and trying to build muscle, I don't think you should worry about being a caloric deficit. You know what I mean? I think they should just eat as much like you know lean protein as possible, 
get as much rest as possible and just work out to the max. Maybe – and it's different from someone like, you know, like us. Like, you know, we're bigger guys, a little bit more muscle. So we may benefit from being a little caloric deficit, but we're still going to make sure we eat plenty of clean protein and get plenty of sleep as well too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. But all right, guys, just to sum up today's episode around diet around diet and diets around the world, we talked about the difference between a diet, a fad diet, and a lifestyle change of eating. We talked about how the diet has evolved from the early man of just simple plants, grains, meat, and bone marrows, and how incorporating glucose helped us become the thinkers and the dominant life forms of, of the world right now, and some, and some things that revolutionize food. Uh, especially the assembly line and the drive-through, which have led to the Western diet that it is. And because of these advancements, the diet has become pretty much worse in terms of sugar and fat specifically due to the high amounts of obesity and heart and heart disease rates here in America. But if we can take some tips from other diets like the Mediterranean, the Okinawa diet, taking in more wholesome organic forms of uh, good sources of protein, fats, and carbohydrates, we can we can live a little bit longer and fight the, the high cost of being sick, which includes healthcare, hospital bills, medications, and all that good stuff. And then we talked about three simple ways that anyone could, could, uh, add, could do to their lifestyle to make them healthier, which includes cutting out sugary drinks, stop eating fast food every day, or, or if you're going to eat, make sure you know what's going into your food every day uh, for your meals. And to snack smartly, specifically replacing cookies, candies, cakes, chips with nuts, fruits uh, to start off with. And then we answered our core questions of the day. And besides that, Saeed, I think it was a good episode. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with? No. Um, you know, try your best to, to figure out what, you know, in regards to diet, diet and lifestyle. You know, figure out what diet best supports your lifestyle, what diet uh, best facilitates your lifestyle. You know, the certain things are necessary if you're a very active person, you know, maybe you have a, a physically demanding job, then you probably want to, you know, work out, eat, sleep differently. If you're in a position where, you know, you're in a sedentary job that's not as physically demanding, maybe you do different things to fit uh, and, and facilitate, you know, the lifestyle you want, the the way you want to feel and all that, those sorts of things. So um, it, it's unfortunate that there isn't necessarily a standard answer mm -hmm. that you can give to everybody. Um, the process of, it's a very simple process, um, but it's a, a long process. So just give yourself time to figure out, you know, what works best for you, but just try your best to keep it as simple as possible. Try out, you know, clean foods, uh, simple foods, um, you know, try to incorporate, you know, some cooking at the house or, you know, some meal prep companies that, that get used. They're uh, also pretty good if you don't have time or, or you don't feel comfortable about, your, I guess, your cooking abilities. Um, but just try try your best not to overcomplicate. Blue Apron, uh, if, they want to, if they want to support uh, us, shout anything. out Blue Apron. Get all your meals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or any, I mean, well, there are a lot of fitness, uh, fitness meal prep companies, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. fitness competitors and stuff. We'll use meal prep companies that send actually finished and prep meals, you know, your five, 10, 12 meals for the, the entire week. Um, but I mean, the, again, it, it all depends on your lifestyle. It all depends on where you're at financially, what, uh, 
what resources you have available to you, um, how much free time you have available. You know, everything has to be tailored to your specific needs. But that's why it's incredibly important to try to keep it as simple as you can because you're, you already have enough stuff going on in your life. Don't make fitness and food more complicated, you know, by trying to find some, you know, perfect diet meal plan, like the perfect food, you know, give stuff a try, see if it works. If it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't move on, um, but just try to try to keep it simple and give yourself the, the freedom and the flexibility to, um, you know, give things a try. And if it doesn't work, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Um, if something doesn't work, that doesn't mean that you, you know, made a mistake. It just means mm -hmm. it wasn't the right fit. And it's about trying to find the things that are the right fit for you. What sort of physical activity is the right fit for you? What sort of food is the right fit for you? You know, even to your sleep schedule. There are different, certain sleep schedules work for certain people. I, I had a professor in law school who only needed to uh, sleep four hours a night. Mm. I tried mm -hmm. it. I tried six hours a night. I could not function on six hours no. a night. I need eight. But, you know, there are other people that can't. So you just figure out what fits you best and you double down on it and you do mm. it until mm. it doesn't work anymore. All right. I agree. I agree with my cousin, with my cousin slash co-host Saeed. Always speaking the truth, man. I know there's a reason why I keep you on the podcast. Speak the truth, man. <laughs> no worries, no Thanks, worries, man. brother. All right, man. Well, let's close it out. Um, yeah, that's that's been uh, episode five of uh, of of, yep. the, of of the podcast. Again, guys, thank you again for listening for Diets Around the World. This is brought to you by Dr. Christian Bramwell and Saeed Bramwell Gordon. You can find us at our various platforms below. And for more healthy tips, check out healthd.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-D-Y.com. And if you have any questions, feel free to send us any of it through our various social media platforms below. The opinions provided should not be viewed as medical advice. And remember, please consult with your doctor before making any changes to your diet or habits. Thanks again for listening, guys.